0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Your welcome is brought to you for free today by our friends at BetOnline. Head over to BetOnline.ag and sign up for your BetOnline's $100,000 Bracket Madness starting on March 15th. Get in the mix at BetOnline.ag and use the promo code Podcast One for your 50% welcome bonus. Online, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. He's been running these streets for years And he's still here And so is fear Undisputed, never lost around Bodies hit the ground When the bad guy comes to town American Gangster, this man will put a hurt on you You'll be crying for your mama by the time he's through You better believe that your life's in danger When you see the American Gangster What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. All right, let me break this down for you. I got a weird week. I got a weird week. I'm in the midst of it now. I am headed out to New York. I'm going to go from New York to Connecticut for Bellator this weekend, and I'm taking you guys with me. Wherever I'm at, I've got a recording device. We're going to put this podcast together, but it just seems that something always comes up when I'm on the road. So I've got a couple of options to either do a podcast early, put it in the can, and release it to you guys as though it's fresh, or take you along. So let's start with this. As soon as the UFC ended Saturday, I went right to my hotel room, and I basically just recorded a recap. I recorded my thoughts on the fights, immediately following the fights. Let's take a listen. All right, I'm now in New York. I'm in my hotel room. And I got to tell you, the more, and possibly this is geographically influenced, the fact that I'm in New York, and the next time I will be in New York, my father-in-law and I will be eating every pizza in sight and getting ready to watch Khabib and Tony. Khabib and Tony is so interesting for so many reasons, but it is the first time in my lifetime I have ever witnessed a mandate for a fighter. Now, let's back up. Before I was born, and I know the story well, but I did not live through it. Marvelous Marvin Hagler beat everybody that could put on a pair of gloves but could not get a world title fight. And Senator Kennedy contacted Bob Arum and said, if Marvin Hagler is not given a world title fight, the Senate is going to hold an investigation as to why not. Bob Arum hung up that phone, called Marvin Hagler and said, "Kid, you're fighting for the title. So... I mean, that would have to go down as the ultimate mandate of all time in the history of combat sport. But I will tell you, Tony Ferguson is the closest thing I've ever witnessed. And I'm reminding you guys of this, just in case you forgot. This fight has been signed four times. It's fallen through four times. Dana swore up, down, and sideways he would never do this a fifth time. There was a mandate not only by the fighters, not only by the fans, not only by the media, not only by Khabib himself, but ultimately the fellow 155-pounders who have sacrificed, who have done heavy lifting, who have worked hard, and who have alike minded goals and dreams all stepped aside and said, Tony Ferguson, take your spot. That is Fascinating to the highest of levels. It is incredible, but it is largely why we were here for a fifth time. This was demanded. Look, we knew Tony deserved the shot. That's why he got it four other times. We knew that Tony was the number one guy. That's why they called him the interim champion of the world, a title which, by the way, he never lost. They took the title. He no longer has the title, but he never lost the title. Same thing that happened to uh, Colby. Beyond baffling, but okay. Now, We go to the press conference, and Khabib, for the umpteenth time, stated what a hard fight Tony is, and that he is well aware of what a hard fight he's in for, that it's the right fight, the right opponent, and he's even went as far as to say he is reinvigorated and remotivated because he's aware of the challenge. Okay, high praise, well-deserved, sounds like Khabib's head's in the right place. But I want to break that statement down just a little bit. I've heard Khabib say it countless times, and it kind of rolled right off my back. And there was something about the way that he said it at this last press conference that made me think, what is it that Khabib sees in Tony that is so hard? And it's a very fair question, because if you watch Khabib, he does three things. Rinse and repeat, he does three things again. Rinse and repeat, he does three things again. He is never, ever, ever not doing one of three things pushing you into the fence, taking you down, and mauling you with ground and pound. Those are his three things in that order. Every single time he fights, he does those three things. The reason I'm a little redundant on that, guys, is if what Khabib is going to do is push you into the fence, take you down, and begin to maul you with ground and pound, if that is what he is going to do, and that is what he has done to 28 other men, round after round, frame after frame, and moment after moment, and time after time then which of those three things does he believe he's going to have issues with when you're dealing with Tony? It's not as though he has to worry about Tony's kickboxing. He's never had to worry about anybody's kickboxing. It's not as though he's got to worry about Tony's jab. He's never had to worry about anybody's jab. It's just not the way he fights. He fights too close. Kind of like Hoist Gracie. He's going to be right on you like this. Then not have to worry about your, your ones and twos. So does he believe getting a hold of Tony is going to be the hard part? Does he believe holding him in the fence is going to be the hard part? Does he believe taking Tony down is the hard part? Or does he believe keeping him there, being able to advance positions, and ultimately maul Tony is going to be the hard part? Because it's one of those three. And I'm very curious which of those three it is. Tony Ferguson is a fantastic wrestler. He is not a wrestler that goes out there to use wrestling. Tony just as soon finished from your back. He has extended his amateur wrestling days, instead of just being about position and control, to being about overall scrambles and fighting from anywhere. He's one of these different guys, which in many ways is happy to play into Khabib's plan. Now, he may regret that decision. Maybe Khabib is too much for him on top. He may regret it. But to make believe that we're not going to see Tony on his back with Khabib on top, when Khabib would like to be on top and Tony would like to be on his back, I think is a little bit of a stretch. I'm still curious, of the three things that Khabib does, fence, takedown, ground and pound, when he keeps referring to Tony as such a difficult opponent, which of those three things does Khabib perceive to be a problem? The slap heard from Las Vegas to South Korea. It's actually the biggest MMA news story out right now, and it just won't seem to go away. Okay, here's what happened. Brian Ortega slaps Korean zombie. Fast forward 24 hours, get a couple of facts better. Brian Ortega was near Korean zombie, but slapped his translator. Fast forward yet another couple of days, Brian Ortega was near Korean Zombie and the translator but slapped the CEO of the management company that represents Korean Zombie, and Ortega was upset because that gentleman had told somebody somewhere that Brian Ortega was scared to fight the Korean Zombie. Okay, that's the story. Ortega backs the story, said, yep, that's exactly what happened. Told that guy, if I ever see him, I'm going to slap him. I saw him. I'm a man of my word, and I slapped him. Okay, (laughs) okay. I don't personally get the slap myself. I've never really understood the slap. And I realize the Diaz boys made it cool to slap somebody in the middle of a fight. But I don't know that I've ever really understood the slap. And Brian Ortega is such a nice guy, by the way. I mean, you have to include that in there. If you ever meet Brian Ortega, he's borderline shy. He very much keeps to himself. If you ever pay him a compliment, I mean, you can see his face light up. It means something to him. He's just a regular guy who works really hard, who found himself in a sport that's got some attention. So him to go and slap somebody, I got to tell you, is a little bit surprising. And by the way, Ortega does understand the game at least to some extent. Not where he will in five or six years from now, but he understands it to a good solid extent right now. If you got a guy that you want to fight and he's got a management team trying to pick a fight, going to the public, it got so loud and so effective that it got all the way back to you. Imagine all the other ears that it crossed before it got to your ears. You kind of owe that guy a bit of a thank you. Not to mention, it's kind of low fodder in the cannonball of insults, right? I mean, you're afraid to fight Korean Zombie. That's not... is. Do you have to fight over that? It seems as though that's kind of uh, G-rated. I'm not totally sure where the insult came from. Not to mention they were our guests and it was just two of them. They were a little bit outnumbered and they got put in a section and they're right by each other. I mean, there was just a lot of things on it that were more confusing as to why this ever happened. I I would call it unnecessary. Now, the good news is, as much as saying a guy is afraid of another guy isn't all that big of a deal, I imagine the slap wasn't all that big of a deal. I didn't see it, I suppose, but I would just imagine that a slap is one step up or one step down from a push, from a shove, right? I mean, it kind of sits on the same shelf next to that. No harm, no foul would be largely the way I will look at this. Possibly because I choose to look at it like that. uh, Possibly because I like Brian Ortega a lot. I don't want anybody to have to be mad at him. It just will always never cease to puzzle me how you're in the one sport where if you have somebody you want to fight, you can fight them. You just have to make sure that it's another guy that has a privileged license and you wait until the appropriate time when the unified rules will be applied. I don't think that's too much to ask of anybody. The bullet won't quit calling out Wei Lee. And by calling out, she hasn't officially said, hey, come on up to 125. I'll give you a shot at this champ champ thing and let's fight. But she's gotten pretty close to that. I mean, she said everything but that. She has said if she wants to come up, someday I will fight her. And then she's been highly critical of Wei Lee. And there's something about it that just feels off. First off, that is not a mega fight that the world's clamoring to see. Secondly, whenever you do the champ champ thing, it has to be a mega fight that the world is clamoring to see. Because the byproduct of a champ champ fight, as we have seen historically, means the lower weight division that gets left generally never gets returned to. It goes into a free fall. And they've got to, you know, find the two contenders and run them back. I mean, we're seeing it right now with Figueroa and Joseph Benavides, just to use a, a very recent example. Just kind of one of these things. So first off, you, you would need a big fight. Second off, that fight just doesn't fit the bill. Nobody's dying to see the bullet fight. Nobody's dying to see Wei Lee fight. Those things are changing. But Wei lee has got several options right now. I mean, Joanna, rematch. Greatest, greatest fight of the year. Little controversy, split decision. I mean, there's a lot of things there. You got Rose coming back. You got Tatiana Suarez coming off of an injury. I mean, she's just got a lot of things to do. That's okay. The bullet's options are a little fewer. So for the bullet to go out and get a little conversation going is smart. It's responsible. The pushback and why it feels a little weird is you've got the bullet who is recognized as the second most lethal female on earth, next to Amanda, challenging and poking her finger in somebody smaller. That just doesn't... It just doesn't work that way. You just can't go after somebody smaller unless you can make yourself smaller and get down to that weight class. But to go after somebody smaller and then tell them that they've got to come up to your weight class, it's just a little bit confusing. It's just not how the game is played. If you want to get a fight, it's not a terrible strategy. If you want to look good and do some PR... A lot better ways to do it. The other issue that the bullet runs into is Wei Lee is here by herself. She does not have a command of the language, and she does not have a team around her. She's got a couple of people. A couple of people in her corner, long way from home. Home's dealing with a lot of issues right now. She's trying to represent, give them a distraction, and take something they can be proud of back to them. It's just one of these spots where if you go after her, you are going to look like you're bullying her to the highest of levels. You do have a command of the language. You have been here a meaningful period of time. You have formed some friends. You are the bigger gal. You are perceived as the second greatest combat athlete of your gender. I would just encourage the bullet. Look, those fights are a big deal. Know the timing. Understand that fight is light years from happening. Makes no sense. Nobody wants to see it. So you have to have an end game if you're going to do that. There are times that you will sell your soul. There are times that you will sell out, be the heel, look like a jerk, because there's a greater good out there. Going after Wei Lee, who just had her first title defense, who before she even got her wraps off of her hands, is slated to defend in a rematch with Joe Wong. She's busy, and she's barely getting through down there. To act as though she's cleaned out a division and you have cleaned out a division and therefore the only right answer is to get you guys together, which historically has been the case when you do a champ, champ, champ uh, level fight, would be a lack of studying and a lack of understanding, which appears to be where the bullet is at. Need a helping hand? We all do. But if you're searching for the right employee for your business, you know it can be a nightmare. It's hard to find qualified candidates. You're probably shifting through hundreds of applications, conducting interviews that don't work out. Who's got time for that? Worry no more, guys, because Zip Recruiter makes it easy. Codable co-founder Gretchen Heber experienced just how challenging hire can be and after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow with her education tech company, but then she switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. And you can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you by using ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter candidates. Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones, then choose the right one. In fact, after posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen said that she found a quality candidate within 24 hours. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter love the experience. Guys, it's the smartest way to hire. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to the web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Sonnen. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-O-N-N-E-N. Sean O'Malley, in many ways, had the performance of the night. In many ways, he really did. Look, this was a stacked card. This was a stacked performance. But when you look at what Sean was up against, and guys, I really don't think that it's fair, okay? I want to talk about the red tape that he's been in real fast. The substance that he had trace amounts of when he comes out and says, I don't know how that got in my system. He's not denying it was in his system and he's not even denying that USADA went out in their job and found that it was in their system. He just said, I don't know how it was in my system. Look, I am an expert on performance enhancers for all the wrong reasons, but an expert nonetheless. Sean O'Malley has never intended to take a steroid and if they found a trace element of a steroid in his system then they found all the damn steroids in his system okay that is not the build of a young man that is trying to enhance and I do think there is something to be said and we can put this to rest when we're done but there is something to be said for intent right we always want to be judged on our intent but we always want to judge others for their actions I think the fact that Sean O'Malley served his time I think that he came as clean as he possibly could, which in this case, when he throws his hands up and goes, man, I don't know where it came from. I believe him. And I would encourage you guys to believe him. Now, that that's behind us, and that is behind us, and that should not be attached or follow Sean O'Malley around. That just simply isn't fair. There's a byproduct of that, which has been he's been out for a meaningful period of time. A young man that discovered some fame and a little bit of fortune is also going to discover a lot of distractions. The only thing that a little fame and a little fortune will get you, it won't get you out of having to deal with dirt bags. It will just get you to deal with a higher level of dirtbag. Apparently not for Sean O'Malley. I mean, he looked like a young man who has been in the gym, buckled down, stayed focused, two a day every day. I mean, that is what he looked like. He showed some gains. He's been walking around calling himself Sean 2.0. Been holding on to that all week. Sean 2.0. He was Sean 2.0! He didn't look anything like the guy who left x amount of months ago. Okay, he really didn't. He looked like a guy that would whip that guy. He come out and he was talking about. He came out and he was talking about. I have a lot of tricks. I have a lot of setups. I appreciate that self-assessment that he's giving, but the irony in that is his trick. If he wants to set up a leg kick, he sets it up by punching you in the mouth. If he wants to punch you in the mouth, he sets it up by throwing a leg kick. His tricks and his setups are vicious and nasty strikes. And he has an accuracy that is almost unmatched. And the one thing that you'll find is power and big, strong guys. That's not where your power comes from it's in the muscles. It largely comes through speed and accuracy. If you can just touch the guy, just touch him. Touch him. Don't let him touch you. I mean, that's Clayton Hires training 101. The name of this game, I touch you and you don't touch me. Sean O'Malley is a master of that. He's got very sharp knees. He's got very sharp points. A lot of that comes with his build. Being long and being tall for a division also makes the points of your body, knees, shins, elbows, very, very sharp. Your fist. This guy is awesome. The Sugar Show is back. And in all fairness, Sean did deserve for something good to happen. Queen is back. I'm talking about Joanna. The Queen is back. Now, the champion... Still remains. But the queen is back. Look, try to understand what Joanna had on her shoulders going to this fight. Was it a big opportunity? Absolutely. But was it also very clearly your final opportunity? Yeah, it was. And if Joanna was to suffer defeat tonight, and this is a champion, this is a future Hall of Famer, this is the greatest straw weight to ever live, to ever compete in the sport. But she could not get a fresh coat of paint by just jumping up to 125 pounds like a lot of athletes would do, particularly younger athletes. A little later in their career, they change weight class. You're only talking about 10 pounds. The problem with that hypothesis is she already went to 125. Oh, and by the way, got a title shot, which represented like the fifth time she shared a ring or a cage with Valentina Shevchenko. It wasn't as though she could just go up to 125 and reassume that position, even though she could beat everybody else in the division. There's something to be said for parity. She is very clearly the number one contender in two uh, different divisions simultaneously. She is not going to take that as a consolation prize. She is too much of a competitor. She's going to look, if you try to tell her, Hey, you're the silver medals in two different weight classes at the same time. Oh my gosh. What a great job you've done. She's going to think you just insulted her. Anybody else in the world going, wait a minute. I'm the second best in the world at two different weights at the same time. Wow. I've really achieved something. Well, her mind works a little bit differently. So where can she go? From here in this fight if she doesn't win it that was a big question but also creates a big pressure something that she had to deal with in her approach to this match now this fight let's break it down awesome if I was to use a word awesome this had such an output there was so many punches there was so many clicks there was nobody backing down big question going to the contest Whaley who is powerful who is aggressive who is fantastic who looks nearly invincible Can she go in championship rounds? It's a different sport. You change the time, you just change the sport. You change one rule, you just change the sport, right? It's no different than than a recipe that you may follow at home. If you change one ingredient, you have now changed what it is you're baking. Okay, Whaley absolutely answered the question. She's got no problem 20 minutes in. She's got no problem 25 minutes in. She looked like she could go another, make it a 30 minute, make it a 35 minute. fight. She wasn't going anywhere. In many ways, her power was better in championship rounds. I wouldn't argue that she was getting stronger. Like, I think maybe your eyes told you what I would argue is her accuracy started to pick up. She didn't lose that. And maybe that's because Joanna was dealing with some of the swelling in the head, and maybe Joanna was a little bit easier target. But either way, Wei Lee passed the test. Look, the champion's still here. But the queen is back. One judge even thought Joanna won this, okay? It was a split decision one judge gave to her. I personally thought that Joanna had won the fight but not enough that I could raise a stink with anybody. I mean, this was just a really close contest, right? Three judges, two different opinions, couldn't have really been much closer. Greatest female fight of all time. Possibly the greatest fight of all time. Before we go there and have to reflect on other great fights we saw, let's just stick with the divisions to make it real easy. Okay, this was the greatest one that we had ever seen. Fight of the year candidate. I watched this fight with Paul Felder, who just came out of a fight of year candidate two weeks ago against dan hooker even paul felder said well there goes dan and i's chances of being the fight of the year they just beat us it was that good of a fight the output was through the roof by both ladies okay there was no everything was punches and punches there was never one punch lands okay let's move her a little bit okay it's your turn to throw a punch okay i defend and i'm gonna throw two at you okay now you defend you throw two back no, no no it was four and five at a time and four or five coming back and four or five going the other way and four or five coming back i mean everything both ladies." would always punch and kick within the same combinations. Many times Wei Lee would start the exchange with a kick. Every exchange, Joanna would finish with a kick. I mean, they were attacking each other to the highest of levels. And it's worth noting, Wei Lee, who is the strongest strawweight we've ever seen, who always controls the takedowns and controls the clinch. Look, she was having a hard time with Joanna. And I don't know that it was a strength issue for Joanna as much as it was a use of leverage. She was a taller fighter. She did a good job getting her hips back, getting down getting underhooks, then standing her opponent up, putting all of her body weight, breaking Wei Li's lock, even turning Wei Li, holding her against the fence. Joanna was so hard to take down. Grand total of zero takedowns. Joanna never went or attempted a takedown. Wei Li did attempt some takedowns, but she failed. I mean, both ladies really showed why Wei Li is the champion and why Joanna is the number one contender. So as far as worrying about the storyline for Joanna, what do you do after this fight should she not capture the title? Listen, there is a strong argument that the only responsible thing to do when you have a split, controversial decision that is now a fight of the year candidate and without question the greatest female fight of all time, there is a responsibility to simply redoing it. Yoel Romero and Izzy Adesanya, listen, this was not the fight we expected. Now, whenever somebody comes out and says it's not the fight that we expected, that is code for this fight was terrible but I don't want to say it was terrible because I have a job to do and I have a relationship with both guys and I don't want to look at the sk- look like the skunk at the garden party. Listen, this one laid an egg. This one is the cure for insomnia. But a deeper question is, who's to blame? And I think that's a very hard question to answer. Many are blaming Adesanya. I'm not sure that I saw it that way. Look, Yoel Romero walked out into this fight. He planted both feet, put his hands up, and never moved. He stood absolutely, st- Adesanya could circle to the left, Yoel wouldn't even turn to face him. Adesanya could circle to the right, Yoel wouldn't even turn to face him. He just stood there. It was as baffling as the night that Nick Diaz laid down in the cage against Anderson Silva. Now the crowd didn't boo. The crowd loved it when Nick Diaz did it. It was highly entertaining, but Anderson himself, the greatest of all time, even had to stand there and stop and just look at him and go, what are you doing? Anderson didn't attack him. He didn't pounce on him. He was baffled. He was confused. I think that's what you were seeing with Adesanya. And while an untrained eye probably told you, listen, Yoel is nothing more than a heavy bag. He's a stationary target. He's doing everything defensively wrong that you're told to not do in fighting. Hit him, kick him, Do it. jump up and knee him, do anything you want. He's not moving. Maybe you're right. In hindsight, maybe you are. But let me just tell you what Izzy was seeing. What Izzy was seeing is something that he wasn't expected to see. Whenever an opponent does something that you're not expecting him to do, And you lay in bed at night all through training camp. You play out all sorts of different scenarios. When one of them pops up that you did not anticipate, things get weird very fast. You start to do calculations. The whole time you're in a fight, you're a detective. You're looking for clues. You're looking for movements. You're looking for motions. You're looking for opportunities. You're looking for vulnerabilities. When you don't see those, when something happens that you've never seen prior in your career, you've never seen in the training room, you've never had a coach breakdown, you never saw on film, From any athlete ever, you have the right to extend your investigation. Adesanya was a detective looking for clues of openings who was forced to extend the investigation. First round ends. First round was very easy to tally because Adesanya touched Romero three times. Romero touched Adesanya four. Now, the official judges' scorecards are in. I don't have them in front of me. But the announced team of John Anik, Joe Rogan, Daniel Cormier said, look, this one's real easy to decide. Adesanya touched him three times. Romero touched him four. Obviously, Romero wins a round. Eh, Not so fast. Not so fast. That's actually not the rule. I don't know how the judges had it. I would just like to elaborate on that thought. The judges get to be very subjective. They are not forced to be Objective. So it is not as simple as four is higher than three and therefore four beats three. It's not. They get to look for damage. They get to look for aggression. They get to look for cage control. They don't just get to look for strikes. If you were to go back, I'll give you an example that you'll, you'll be able to understand. This will be very easy. But Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson had very few fights where he touched his opponent more times than his opponent touched him. But Mike would touch them with such ferociousness and such power and create so much damage. That he would still win the rounds and win the moments and win the exchanges. So it is not as simple. I just want to make this point. It's not as simple as one guy had four, one guy had three, four is better than three. It's not. So when you start to play this fight through and you get to a decision, look, I thought Romero was going to get his hand raised. In some respects, that would have been nauseating. To make believe that Romero went out there and did enough to take a championship away might have been bothersome. But that doesn't mean that it would have been wrong. It's a 10-9-must system, and the judges have the right to see what they saw, and even though those scorecards were all over the board, it was still a simple situation of this is a little bit tough to judge because Adesanya does at least look like he's trying to get into a fistfight, and Romero does at least look like he's trying to conserve energy and avoid engaging in a fistfight. Romero is very baffling to me, and he's baffling to me only because he is such a dynamic world an Olympic-class wrestler that chooses to not bring those skills with him. I would encourage Romero, and I I have a feeling I'm a little bit late and I have a feeling it's going to fall on deaf ears because I certainly can't be the only one. Certainly his own camp and his own team have grabbed him by the collar and smacked him left and right and said, listen here, you got a lifetime of wrestling behind you. Go out and use that. Okay, if for some reason Romero is just not seeing the opportunities to close the distance, and clinch up and engage his opponent, try to ultimately drag them to the ground. If he's not seeing those opportunities, he can still use those movements just to remind and reinforce the belief in his opponent's mind that you are in here with an elite wrestler. If you can get a striker to always worry that the takedown could come at any time, you will reduce his striking immensely. We've seen this happen in MMA. Ray Cepho comes to mind. Tyrone Spong comes to mind. Genki Suko comes to mind. Great strikers, very great strikers, who would still go out there and win. And they would be stand up battles, but they didn't know that going in. They didn't know my opponent isn't going to try to take me down. So all of a sudden, even though they're in their wheelhouse, the fights end up pretty close. Reason being is it's in their mind. I'm in a little bit of a different world. It can be a little bit more dynamic. Romero doesn't do a good enough job of reinforcing that psychological belief within his opponents. So if he wants to go out and stand with these guys, and he's a fantastic athlete who's very powerful, and he's also a little bit awkward, he can go ahead and stand with guys. We've seen that. Romero's proved that he's a complete fight, whether it's a Costa fight, whether it's a Whitaker fight, even tonight with Adesanya. He's proven he can do that, but he's also proven that he's not making his opponents worry about a lifetime accomplishment, success in the wrestling world. I think that that's Romero's one big mistake. Now, I also think there's plenty of compliments that you could pay Yoel. I think that Yoel did a very good job. Look, he wasn't checking all the leg kicks, but largely that's because Adesanya set them up so well. Yoel did have some very good moments. He did go in sprints. He did conserve his energy. He was able to be efficient. He was able strategically to extend his lungs and see the contest through. But I will tell you, a combat athletes, biggest fear is not losing An athlete's biggest fear is exhaustion, that they will reach a level of fatigue where they cannot finish the contest. That is their single biggest fear. And the greats can put that behind them. The greats can accept that fatigue is a real thing, but my opponent's feeling this too, and I'm going to push until the end of the night. That is something that I think Adesanya showed. Adesanya's ability to get up off of the bottom in about two seconds with a world and Olympic medalist on top, Adesanya is showing gains, and when you are looking for storylines, not only, and we know what's next for Adesanya, it's Costa, I understand that, but I do think as we start to look forward and fantasize about an Adesanya-John Jones fight, the one thing that we were going to learn tonight, when Adesanya was locked in there with Romero, is just quite simply, can you stop a takedown? And by the way, if you can't, can you scramble and get up off the bottom? Because if you can't do one of those two things, you cannot compete with John Jones, Adesanya proved that he can. So the hope and the dream of that super fight stays alive. In fact, it gets a little bit more interesting. I understand this fight isn't what everybody was looking for. It wasn't what everybody expected. Even if you would just look at the short term. okay? Let's go out to Yoel's last fight. He got an of the night bonus. Let's go to Adesanya's last fight. He got an of the night bonus. These are two very exciting guys. This is very simple math. Put an exciting guy in the red corner. Put an exciting guy in the blue corner. What are you going to get? You're going to get an exciting fight. Well, mm, not always. That doesn't mean that there weren't some wonderful moments. And at the end of the day, guys, you turn to the scorecards after time runs out, you see what they have to say, you shake hands and you walk away. Adesanya walks away, the champion. Tony and Khabib's press conference was kind of a highlight of the weekend in many ways. So whenever you have a special fight, there's ways to tell. One way to tell when a fight is very special is when they have a press conference and only the two athletes competing in the main event are the only ones invited to the press conference. That only happens in a very rare situation where a fight is big enough and the athletes can command enough attention that they and they alone, along with Dana White, can take a stage and bring in an audience and do numbers and get media to come out. I mean, it's a really rare thing. I think we all understand how big the fight between Tony and Khabib is but I also enjoyed the press conference. Look, it kind of started off... Tony shows up, and he's got these gloves on that I thought were hand wraps. Where I was sitting, I thought he like wrapped his hand in kind of like this cool way, but other people were telling me, no, it's a, it was like a luchador glove. Okay, fine. But he shows up with a prop. Okay, there's something to see. And then he's holding a baseball. So somebody asks him, of course, what's with the baseball? And Tony says, I have this in case they run. Now... I don't know what that means. I don't know who they are. And if they do run, why does he need the ball? I assume that means so he can still get him. He just, just throws the ball. Who cares? It's Tony Ferg. It doesn't have to make sense. He brought a prop to a weigh-in. And now I'm sitting here talking to you guys about it, which means it worked. Okay. So when Khabib gets upset, right, and it's kind of hard to piss Khabib off But he definitely has his triggers. He has his buttons. Khabib is a man of principle to the highest of levels. But if you go against whatever Khabib's code is, that's worth fighting over to Khabib. So when you got a guy like Tony that studied this guy for a meaningful period of time, Tony knows just how to push those buttons. Tony's doing a great job. And Khabib's getting mad. And Khabib mad is very compelling to watch. Because when Khabib is upset, he's not going to curse at you. And he's not going to throw something at you. But his eyes change and he shakes the finger at you, and he you know, he just, Khabib does certain things when he's mad, and Tony's getting him mad. Tony gets asked a question right out of the gate just to set the tone for this press conference. Rodney asks him a question. Now, Rodney, I don't think Tony knew. Rodney's a fellow fighter. He competes. He was trained by Robert Follis, works out at the Extreme Couture Gym. He's an army veteran, war hero, soldier. And he's had to work with many people who have PTSD, which is a mental ailment, when they come back. So Rodney asked Tony a question about mental health, but Rodney asked it in a very complimentary way, letting Tony know what a cool thing it was to come out and speak publicly. Okay, Rodney got misinterpreted, and Tony responded with two words F, U. Rodney then attempts to clarify what he meant. Oh, no, Tony. I was complimenting you, and I... Tony responds with two words: "F you." And this was this opened the gate. So now you got Tony Ferg in a bad mood, wearing gloves that I thought were hand wraps, holding a baseball. <laughs> the whole thing was like this was so visually stimulated to be part of this. I mean, something's happening here. It was that was the situation, without knowing what it is, without knowing where it's going to go. Something is happening here, and in, in the world of entertainment and theater. That's enough. If you can fulfill that, if somebody stumbles across you with all the multiple options that they have in today's digital world and they stop what they're doing because something is happening here. Okay. So you get to the very final part of this. Tony, who brought his belt, his interim championship, which, by the way, I think he has every right to bring. Tony was the interim champion who never lost, but somehow is no longer the interim champion. Remember when they did that to Colby? Colby was the interim champion. Colby never lost. Colby's no longer interim champion. What? And by the way, the interim, this means something. This is very meaningful. Would those guys, both Tony Ferg, Colby Covington, would they have to go through to earn that? And then somebody takes it away? It's a little bit weird, so Tony brings it with him. Tony, for reasons unknown, when he comes to face off with Khabib, instead of holding the belt or wearing the belt, chooses to lay the belt down. I don't know what it means. I don't know how to interpret this piece of theater. I'm just telling you what happened. Khabib, for reasons unknown, kicks the belt. Now, that isn't like taking a guy's flag and throwing it on the ground. Remember when Mayweather and McGregor had that face-off? One of the fans passed up the Irish flag. Mayweather had it in his possession, and Conor gave him a very serious threat about, you better not let that flag touch the ground. It wasn't something like that. But Tony himself was stuck on what his responsibility and reaction to the gesture of his belt being kicked and shooed away by Khabib should be. And I could see Tony trying to gather his thoughts like, okay, how mad do I need to be? I just put it on the ground. I don't particularly really care about this belt. I just bought it out as a piece of theater. They're even saying that i, I do not not even the champion anymore. What do I care if he kicks the belt? But he, that's my belt, and he did kick it. And I must respond. Like, it was just this weird math. And watching Tony Khabib, it was fun. The fact that that fight is getting closer and closer. Tony did say one thing. One thing that stood out, and I thought that I should share this with you guys. At the initial press conference, not this one, the initial, for the announcement of Tony versus Khabib, Tony told the audience, I am auditioning coaches and training partners now. Let me know if you're interested in training with me. And he said this to the fans. Now, we're all sitting back and going, okay, wait a minute, Tony, Tony, do you not have a team? Do you not have a gym and a home and a coach and all these different things? And it would appear by that statement, no, he did not. So fast forward to this press conference, which was 48 or 72 hours ago. It just happened. Tony tells the audience, I've decided I am going to spar for this fight. So if any of you would like to spar, make sure you find me. And I'm listening to that going, okay, that sounds like a good idea. In terms of the spar, and in terms of just doing it with audience participation, a little bit weird, but the sparring part sounds like a good idea. By the way, Tony, that fight's in three weeks. You're just now came up with the idea that you should spar, so I never know what part of this is showmanship. I can tell you, when I was in the room with Tony Ferg, and I've told you guys many times about how hard he worked, but I mean, this was like years ago. I still remember, I mean, he worked so hard. But he sparred every day, lots and lots and lots. And we used to spar three, four, five rounds as part of practice. Tony would stay after practice, shark bait, where he stays in and anybody who wants five minutes with him, just come on out. Don't even ask, just come for it. When the bell goes off, next one of you come it. Tony used to wear those guys out to where they only had to go in for five minutes and they could sit out for 10, 15 if they wanted to. He would wear them out while staying in the middle, then go over to the heavy bag. So I don't know how much I believe this whole Tony Ferguson doesn't spar business. But I've also known, never known Tony Ferguson to bluff. People find him entertaining. It's not an act. This is not a show. I do take Tony at his word. I do believe he plans to spar. I also believe he is yet to spar. Listen up. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's and your renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to geico.com, get a quote, see how much you can save. That's geico.com, geico.com. There were some big takeaways from Adesanya Romero, right? I, I, I realize as MMA fans, we have been spoiled beyond belief And we have been treated to high-paced, high-action fights. So when one of them isn't what we expected with the pace and the action, I realize how that is surprising. But it's very on par for other sports. I mean, sometimes things happen that aren't what you expected to happen, which is a nice way of saying dull and not a whole lot of action. But You've got to look a little closer into this because moving forward, we already know what's next for Izzy. It's very rare that somebody can fight and within 30 seconds of finishing one fight, already know what's next for them, particularly when it's the champion. I mean, this is a very rare spot, and I think that we do have a level of celebration due to that. And when you're talking about Paulo Costa, All the makings of a very exciting fighter there. Adesanya is very exciting and very fun, right? He he had one one, one weird night that he was 50% of. Paulo Costa has had zero bad nights that he's ever been part of. Everything about him is fun. You put those two guys together, you have a very reasonable expectation that something entertaining and action-packed is going to take place. Great. But make sure you do understand, over the course of those 25 minutes, there were some exchanges. And there was only a few, but there was some exchanges. And when Romero came at Izzy, that's when Izzy came to life and did his best work. You could back up. Look at when Robert Whitaker came at Izzy. That's when Izzy came to life and did his best work. So all that I'm offering for you is we look forward and we know that it's Paulo Acosta and we have every reasonable expectation, broad stroke, of course, that this is going to be action-packed, exciting, and fun. The X's and the O's of who comes out on top if you have a high-paced, action-packed, back-and-forth match. I think that there's a lot of evidence that that is when Izzy is at his best. I think even some of the exchanges with the O.L. Romero last night proved that. But I would also offer for you, if you're Team Paulo Acosta, you have a nail to hang your hat on as well, because that's when Costa's at his best. Costa wants you coming at him. Costa wants you in range at all times. He's going to throw heat at you. He's going to slip out of the way of yours. He's going to go to your body. He's going to come upstairs, but he's staying in your face. You're going to hit him. He's going to hit you. You're going to clinch with him. He's going to clinch you back. It's a push and pull to the highest of levels. Neither one of these guys likes a whole lot of strategy, and neither one of these guys likes a whole lot of space. They prefer to be right in the fire. So the question does quickly become, who does that favor? I don't know that I have that answer. I think my opinion is is still forming as the fight gets closer, and that fight, in all fairness, is a meaningful amount of time away. But at least we do know it's incumbent that it's on the horizon. And I do think if you took a little bit closer look at the exchanges that did take place over those five rounds between Adesanya and Romero, you would be able to form a little bit of an opinion and come to the ultimate consensus that Izzy does his best work when the house is on fire. UFC 248 was a weird night. I, I, I am so confused in so many directions. So here, let's just start the night off. My longtime teammate, Emily Whitmere, had a hard time making weight. Something happened. Rumor is that it had to do with the weight cut. She ends up in the hospital, isn't able to make the fight. That was the first fight of the night. So as the building opens and the crowd comes in, the very first thing that you have for entertainment is Bruce Buffer getting into the ring and announcing to everybody, Emily Whitmere is out. This fight is off. Stay in your seat. Show's pushed 30 minutes. Fine. Terrible. All your thoughts with Emily. Weird start to the night. Great. Show gets kicked off. Deron Wynn comes out. He's got some kind of heat with his opponent. I mean, there's some back and forth and some Twitter, and I missed some of it. A lot of people were telling me about it, but these two really want to fight each other. Deron, great wrestler, was never really able to find his wrestling. He ends up not only losing, he gets stopped, but that was kind of a a bit of a surprise. You move forward to Sean O'Malley, who has been out for X amount of time, young in his career. That should affect him. No, nope, turns out he looks better than he's ever looked. I mean, in many ways, it was Conor McGregor versus Cowboy Cerrone all over again. When you look at the time that was removed, what was expected in his performance, and then how he outshined his own coverage on this, that was a little bit strange. Fast forward all the way to the girls fight, which goes down as not only the most activity in the history of a world title fight, on both sides, but also goes down instantly as a classic. Instantly, it's got controversy, split decision, the queen returns, the champion remains, and it appears that now a rematch is in order. Moving to the main event, where Adesanya comes out exactly like he said said he's going to do, takes... Takes the ring, Romero throws out something that's confusing, baffling, and now very little activity ensues. You end up with a snooze fest that you have to go to the judges. The judges see it all over the board, but they do have one thing that they agree on, which is they all believe that the champion, Adesanya, did enough to leave with the championship. Great. That sets up a fight with Paulo Acosta, which Izzy tried to address from the cage, looks over, and Costa's seat is all of a sudden empty. Costa's in the back. Throw to the shot in the back, where Brett Akamoto grabs Apollo Acosta, and Paula said that he left because he was sad, that the fight made him sad. Now, I think that that is a word that was lost in translation as he is getting new and, and better at English, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe he was so disgusted that it literally hurt his feelings as the top contender of the division that that division is now looked at that way. I don't know, but I'm left a little bit confused. We then go to a press conference where we find out that Korean Zombie and Brian Ortega got in a fight in the VIP section at the UFC. Police were involved. Ortega's the one that did the slapping. Then it turns out that Ortega didn't slap the zombie. It's now being reported that Korean Zombie's friend is the one that actually took the hit. Okay, again, more questions. And then it gets revealed to us that the light heavyweight division, they would like to rematch John Jones with Reyes, but that John Jones is lobbying to fight Yawn. I don't have a big problem, however, that that shoe drops. John Jones is gonna do both of those fights. He's gonna fight Jan and he's gonna fight Reyes. The question right now is in what order? But we are now left with still speculation on that. I mean, there's so many things that are going around and around. Oh, and by the way, I almost didn't even mention it to you guys. Paul Felder, one of the toughest guys you're ever going to see, ever, in any sport. Never quit, no quit in him. Not true. Saw Paul quit. So Paul, while all of this action is going, is on a two-week hiatus removed from his fight with Dan Hooker, and Paul has a deal with himself where for two weeks, he goes and eats anything that he wanted, anything that he fantasized about leading into the fight. And then cleans the diet up. So this is the back end of those two weeks out here in Las Vegas. Culinary options galore. Paul decides he's going to do something called like a 10,000 calorie challenge. Where within one day, he needs to consume 10,000 calories. Okay. He did two donuts before I saw him. Three bags of chips in my presence. Three sandwiches in my presence. Washed those downs with two Coca-Cola. Then put in an order. Got more donuts sent up to him. Of which he ate two of in front of me roughly 7,000 calories he thought he had consumed for the day and said you know what I need a break I'm not going to see those other 3,000 so I mean as far as Paul Felder never quitted anything apparently he found a challenge that he didn't like guys I appreciate you listening and you will not have to wait long to listen again because we're going to be back on Friday until then I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.